Remember, everybody, follow us at Foreign Football Pod on Instagram and subscribe to the podcast and all other channels. We have the link in our bio. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Foreign Football Podcast. This is your co-host, Patrick Monaghan. So today I'm joined by Oreku Ampofu. He is a Ghanaian journalist specializing in Ghanaian Premier League, as well as Ghanaian footballers abroad and Black Stars and everything related to that. Sir, thank you for joining us. It's a real pleasure to be able to speak about you know, Ghanaian football, talking transfer rumors, everything like that. So thank you again for coming on and, and agreeing to speak with us. Oh, thank you too for having me. And uh, I must say that you got the name quite right. <laughs> <laughs> so I had a couple of players that I was looking at and there's been some interesting things that I noticed before the season. I know you know, we were talking a little bit about um, some potential January rumors, but what what is the number one or maybe a one or two transfers that you saw before the season began that impressed you the most? I know the most talked about was Partey to Arsenal. Is that the, the best in your opinion, or is there one that stands out even more so? Well... Yeah, I think to talk about Ghanaian transfers and not to mention Thomas Partey, I I think that would be difficult. I, I didn't think that was the standout for me in terms of, you know, gaining a good technical move. I'll come to that. But let me just touch on the Partey one. I, I just thought globally it was a really big move for Ghana because it did put the country on the map. You know, it was a difficult transfer period for most teams. A lot of teams couldn't financially, you know, fork out money to uh, complete big money moves and, you know, headline deals. So for a Ghanaian to, you know, headline the whole transfer window, and it was about how dramatic it was. You could see the likes of BBC, Sky Sports, everyone headlining their deadline day with Thomas Partey's move to Arsenal. And I think from that point of view, it did, you know, put Ghana on, on a good shed of light. And uh, certainly, I just thought that was a great move for not just Ghana, but for the player himself. And, you know, he's been at Atletico Madrid. He's been doing so well. But there was always that feeling that what he's doing might just be going a bit under the radar. And not a lot of people get to watch La Liga. So to get a chance to play in arguably the most competitive and the most watched league in the world, it was a good move for Thomas Partey. And uh, it's one that Ghanaians are really happy about. Uh, but I think the best move from a technical point of view, without the benefit of hindsight, I thought it would be Mohamed Salisu. But now that I do have the benefit of hindsight, I, I, I would go Mohamed Kudus to Ajax. And I think that it, it was the perfect move for him in terms of, you know, career development, moving uh, from Nordjylland, where he spent a couple of years, and then moving to Ajax, where there wouldn't be so much pressure on him, but he would have a good environment to learn from. And what, what a player he's been so far. It's, it's, it's rather unfortunate that he was blighted with just one injury and in on his Champions League debut. But... Prior to that, he was already leading the assist chat and he had scored one goal already. And he was 
becoming a key player for Ajax and uh, he started training again. I just hope that he comes back stronger and, you know, that meniscus injury doesn't really affect him. It's interesting you mentioned both of those because those were actually the transfers that I was going to discuss myself as far as, as far as I think probably the best moves. I think, I agree with what you said about Partey. I think, I think the main benefit of that move is it does increase the level of awareness of Ghanaian football. And I do think that it helps even going forward to see more players say, say in the future, we see Salisu looking to move to, um, we'll say like Chelsea or an Arsenal or something like that. I think given that move, that Partey has helped kind of establish Ghanaian football in the top tier, because we've always seen a lot of players in um, La Liga. We've seen it in Italy. We saw, I remember last year seeing uh, Mubarak before he went over to China um, and he was doing quite well, but I think this is the flashiest move, but I think Salisu is actually the best transfer. The only issue with Mohammed is just as you mentioned with injuries, but even with, even despite injuries, I still think he has a lot of promise and he will be very, very good going forward. And then, um, you know, I touched on Mubarak, which was a, a little bit of a surprising move as well. I wonder when you see a move like that, is that move considered a good move, you know, in Ghana to see a Ghanaian footballer going to China or to the Middle East, or is the preference to go to La Liga or Italy or France or another European league? I think the, whenever it comes to player transfers, there are two different perspectives to look at. Uh, you do have a fun point of view where, you know, genuinely you're interested in the development of the player and the visibility of the player. And then you also have the perspective of the player himself. Now, here's the tricky part. Uh, every player wants to play in a top team, in a top league, in a very competitive space. And probably gets seen by everyone. But what we do not always consider is uh, the, the beginnings and, you know, the trials that these players have been through to be able to reach a top. Now, these players make a lot of sacrifices because of, uh, you know, the underprivileged background that they had to start from. So whenever they are climbing up in their career, they know that the money that they are accumulating is not just for themselves, but is actually for, you know, the whole family and for generations ahead. So although there is always that temptation that you want to play for a big club, you really want to play in a European top five league, there's also that mentality, especially from our players here, to be able to you know, gather as much money as possible to be able to, you know, take care of your family and the generations ahead. And uh, that that was typified in a Samojan's move when he was at the peak of his career, uh, ended up leaving Sunderland midway through the season when he had already started being linked with, you know, clubs such as Tottenham Hotspur and Liverpool. And, you know, you, you look back on his career and you do ask yourself, uh, it's more or less of what could have been, because I thought Samojan, with what he had, he could have been something really big for Ghana and it could have been you know our closest player to the Ballon d'Or in you know recent years but he chose to go to the Middle East halfway through his Premier League journey and sometimes I think people are going to understand you look at someone like Wakaso he's what 29 30 years 
his career is probably not going to get any better in terms of you know big moves and he's not going to last at any big club he would rather go to china still get some competitive football and then probably get twice as much or thrice as much that he would have got uh in a much more competitive league so i always want to stay objective i do understand why most of them are making some of these moves but I, I don't like it when young players do that. If you're above 28, 29, 30, I do understand. But I've seen a couple of, you know, under 20 players try that. And, you know, you have someone like Samuel Wusu, who has been fantastic for the Black Stars. And then, you know, at age 22, 23, you're going to Middle East. No, I, I don't think that that is good for a player of that age. And uh, I think that's just the downside for me. But yeah, it still stays with you know, it's always the player's choice. I 100% agree with what you're talking about as far as with John and, and all these things. I think I think it's a little bit different if you, like you said, if you've been able to accomplish what you desire to accomplish and you're 29, 30 years old and you want to make the move from a financial standpoint to be able to secure the money going forward because what if they're using that money for other things for not only just family, but what if they're bringing that money back to help the community? What if they're setting up, you know, football academy or football school or whatever, something like that? I think that's perfectly fine, but I agree with what you said in that I don't think you should be making that move at 22 or 23, because I think the problem with that is it, I don't think number one, that it's the best for the national team and I don't think that it's the best move for the player because okay yeah you've been able to get the financial aspect but have you really from a competitive side been at your best now going to China is a little bit different in the sense that there are some strong players over there but it's kind of been the trend that you've talked about which is guys that are 30, 31, 32, something along those lines. I think that if anything, I've noticed, you know, a trend for a lot of, not even just Ghanaian footballers, but footballers in general, if they're staying in Europe to go to Turkey. And I think Turkey is actually probably the best league if you want to compromise and say, I want a high salary, but I'm still able to, you know, compete in the Champions League every year. We saw somebody like Etter did that. And I think that move is fine. But I, I don't know, I wonder. And I do still wonder with John as well. I think he was, in his day, you know, being in the US and seeing him play, he was one of the most talented players I've personally ever seen. And then when he left, you know, I was talking about this with a friend of mine it was surprising, but my friend had told me what you had said, which is that he did it because there was greater reasons than what met the eye. It was more, it wasn't just, oh, I'm doing this just to get money. It was doing this for other aspects as well. Um, so we'll see. And then, you know, talk about him. He just went and returned to Ghana. I, I don't, how was that transfer even, how did that transfer even occur? And was that transfer well received or or what was what was kind of the perception from the people because isn't john at this point is he 35 or 36 
Yeah, he's 35. 35. Yeah. Was it well received in the country or what was your what was your kind of initial expectation and your reaction when you saw that he would be returning to Ghana? Well, so I was really at the center of this transfer because uh, you know, it was transfer season and I, I do have a couple of uh, sources at Legon City, that's the club that he joined. And they are, you can call them the Paris Saint-Germain of the Ghana Premier League. They do have some really rich investors. And in the past year or so, they've been trying to you know, revamp the brand and uh, get some good players to be able to compete. So I was just, uh, you know, I work one afternoon and I got a message uh, from one of my sources that Asamoah would be joining Legon Cities. And I was like, what? Because, you know, there's Asante Kotoko that's arguably, if not the biggest club, one of the biggest clubs in Ghana. And they had been linked with Asamoah throughout the entire transfer window. And all of a sudden, you just hear a club like Legon City. So it's almost like you have Manchester United linked with the player all summer. And then you do hear someone like, let's say, a mid-table club. I'm, I'm struggling to pick. I'm struggling to pick a club in England that is like League One Cities. But just picture a mid-table club that had just got some real form of investment, like Leicester or something of that sort. And it was quite surprising. But I knew they had the financial muscle to be able to pull off such a move. And you know, I broke the story. Uh, People were a bit surprised because of the price tag. I spoke to his agent. He is, his agent told me that the deal would be worth $1 million, uh, not just in money, but in packages as well. And so that that was the byline. And, you know, for, for a Ghana Premier League club, $1 million is a lot of money. So that was the concern for most people. Jan at 34, 35, can he really you know, pay you back that $1 million on the pitch. And, you know, a lot of people were happy about the move that, you know, sentimentally, yeah, it does bring more eyes to the Ghana Premier League because he's a global brand. You had the FIFA account tweets about Jan's transfer. You had, you know, the Confederations of African Football account tweets. A lot of huge uh, people in the football industry did talk about the transfer as well. But then I think the big question still remained as to, how he would settle in the league because it's a very, very physical league. And so far, I think people have got their justification. It's not, it's not gone so well. Uh, he's having issues with his fitness. Yet to start a game, play just about 60, 70 minutes accumulated across all the seven games that have been played so far. So, I mean, off the pitch, it was a good move. Uh, good for the brand of the Ghana Premier League, but on the pitch so far has not been something to write home about. Was it also partially done, you know, with being able to add a different, a different club into the mix, knowing that we've seen it's been Heart of Oaks and um, Ashante um, Kotoko have been the two primary clubs. Is it an attempt to go and rival almost the top two and then do you think that maybe this is an attempt at luring, you know, maybe not even just Ghanaian footballers, but other other African footballers as they approach that, you know, 34, 35 range as a way of getting stars to go and return to the continent as opposed to finishing out their career in, say, Qatar or Saudi Arabia or China? 
because that's that's kind of how it sounds like to me when I was reading it 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 seemed like that was maybe the attempt I think that it's an attempt to bring more legitimacy to the Ghanaian Premier League and I do think a lot of it is branding but I don't know and I don't and I'm not saying that's not it's necessarily a bad thing but I do think he could have performed a little better. You know, he's saying 70 minutes and 70 and seven matches. I mean, even at that age, that's a little bit disappointing, but who knows? I do agree. Yeah. I, I think that it was, it was trying to sort of like start a revolution towards the tangent of players returning to, you know, the Ghana Premier League. We've had so much talk, you know, Kodra Samoa has said that he would consider coming back home. Michael Essien, Stephen Appiah, all these guys at the point have said that they would consider coming back home, even Muntari himself. Uh, for Muntari, I know Legon City were interested, uh, but, you know, he he was still bent on playing in the South African League. And uh, I, I just think for, for Jan, being bold to take such a move is just like 50% through, through this process. The rest of the 50% is now you've become an ambassador for returning to the league. It's up to the impact that you do have. Because if you do play well and you're well-received and you're all over the newspapers, that's when it becomes attractive for all these other players. But poor performances and not really trying to work on your fitness will only attract negative press. And uh, that certainly wouldn't be a good point of reference for other players to also follow suit. So I think he has a big job on his hands. And I, for one, I thought he, he could have been more prepared physically when that he would return to football. And uh, he still has a lot to work on in terms of his weight, according to his coach. So we're still hoping for the best. It's still early days yet. But for, for a player worth $1 million, he should have hit the ground running by now. I think he will. Uh, I think eventually. And... The one other player you mentioned that that was kind of an interesting sort of target to me was with Asamboa because, I mean, I remember seeing him, you know, with Juventus playing incredibly well, um, Urenzi, but now there's rumors that he's being linked to Sampdoria, Udense, and I saw FC Porto as well. So I wonder if he's going to approach it as, you know, I'm 32 years old, I'm going to go maybe do a two-year deal at that point you'd be 34 maybe 30 probably 35 when the season ends so I'm wondering if he would think about it like that and then say okay at that point I'm going to return home and I think that that to me is probably going to be the most likely move um, because other than that I haven't seen too many moves I've, I've seen that one and then I've seen um, Alfred Duncan being rumored to Genoa and then you know we were talking about this before the show with Chris Janatsu. I have no idea what's going to happen to him he has I wouldn't say disappeared but he has really had some struggles recently and I don't I don't know what club is going to make sense for him so I think those to me are, have been kind of the three main transfer rumors that I've been monitoring this this January window, but I don't know. I mean, I mean, what do you think? Do you think Kristen is going to be able to find a suitable club or 
or what do you, what's been your take kind of on these January rumors? Well, I, I think for, for Achu, he's been a bit too slow in terms of uh, his decision making. And I just thought that, you know, when a manager tells you that, look, I, I do not need you and I, I'm not going to use you, that's him being brutally honest. There's nothing that you can do that will change his mind. Of course, you probably become a messy out training or something, but that, that usually doesn't happen. So with, with the benefit of knowing this, I just thought he would rather push for a move in the summer. And he had a couple of offers from Celtic and then from the championship as well. But I'm trying to put myself, myself in the shoes of uh, Achu, and I'm probably imagining that he knows he's not going to make anywhere near the amount he's making at Newcastle at the championship or with Celtic. And so he might probably just stay for the remainder of his contract, which expires this summer. And then after gathering the money, he moves like where, like how he probably should have moved a year ago. But here's the danger with that. Without playing active football, you become less of an attractive asset because you're not playing well. You do not have good form. And I don't think teams would want to take risk on players who haven't played competitive football in one year. So it's a, it's a difficult position that he's put himself. It could be what I'm saying. It's just a speculation. Or it could also be the fact that he does not want to separate himself uh, from his family as well. And uh, maybe that's why he didn't opt for the Celtic move. But I know that, you know, um, he, he, he's been really linked to Celtic a couple of times uh, in the transfer window. This wasn't the first time. So I just think for his sake, maybe a move to the championship would, would have been good. And, uh, you know, even the captain of the Black Stars, Andrea, you plays in the championship. So it's never a bad thing to go take one step back and, you know, try and come back up again with whichever club that he opts for. Uh, but still on the transfers, uh, for Kojua Samoa, I think uh, he's also he's also tried the whole actual thing. I thought he could have been a lot quicker in terms of his decision-making. And uh, he, although he's a free agent, you know, he mutually terminated his contract with Inter Milan. Uh, he's been linked to Sampdoria, Genoa, and, uh, you know, a host of other clubs. I think he has to be quick. And he's well adopted to the Italian football. He's training at home alone now. And I just think the sooner he joins a club, the better it is for him. Because you do have a point where now the shadow of football is so tight that you need to be extremely fit to be able to, you know, start playing competitive football again. Just take a look at Mohamed Salisu. He was playing active football. He just take, you know, took another step to a, a league that's a notch higher in terms of intensity. And he hasn't played since he joined because the coach says that he's not physically up to the level of the Premier League yet. So just imagine that's someone who's been playing active football and he played over 2,000 minutes in La Liga last season. That was the ninth most by any player. So you, you can imagine someone who's this fit being told that he's not up to, you know, the physical demands of the Premier League. And you look at players like Achu and Kodasan who are not even playing. So it just tells you how far back they're going to be and the amount of work that they would have to put in as well. Uh, for Alfred Duncan, I think he's just falling off the pack in order. Uh, he started just two games this season. He's a player with real talent, but I just always thought that he could be a bit stronger. He just looks a bit soft sometimes. 
And uh, Fiorentina, I thought, was a good move. He had a very good start to his Fiorentina career, you know, when he joined uh, in the winter transfer window last year. But things have gone a bit aback since then. Uh, I'm just hoping that if he's not going to get more game time, then he, he honestly has to start looking for a move because he's a real talented player and uh, he, he needs the platform to be able to demonstrate that. You do, though. I mean, you need to, like you said, look at Salisu who goes in and is playing very well and then he leaves and he's not, he hasn't even appeared. But I guess, like, the differences with him is He's young, so, I, you know, like what you said, I think him being young, they give him a little bit more time to adjust and adapt, but it's like you said, it's the number one biggest thing is, you know, actually getting game time and actually being able to be both physically fit and finding the right club, and that's the issue that Kristen's had is you look at him, he's not had he has not honestly had very much consistency throughout his career. He had a very strong spell with River Ave. Then he went to Chelsea where he was loaned out almost every year, had some struggles. Then he came to Newcastle where he established himself. But like you said, I do question the decision-making when you've been told you're not going to play. I wonder if the if the idea was he wanted to fight for his spot, and if a player's thinking like that, you know, I guess you do have to admire that. But I don't know if if it was me, I think I probably would have taken the Celtic move because, granted, that's not that's probably the same level in my opinion as being in the championship, if not a little bit below. But at the very least, it's not too much to uproot your family he could honestly have kept his family in Newcastle if that was the case and he would have been able to get consistent football because you know one thing I I think that our audience might not be aware of is the level of competition in Ghana to play for the national team there's one player in particular who and I've this is one question I've just been really dying to ask is this player, Clifford Abogai, um, I'm so sorry for mispronouncing that name. Yeah. Uh, he had gone over to Club Puebla. Mm. And now he's played so well that he's worked his way into um, being included in, um, it was included in the qualifying matches against Sudan. I don't know if he played, but he was someone who went from Spain and then was loaned to Mexico and played very well and worked his way into the national team. That's a type of move that I wonder if we'll see more of. Maybe not going to Mexico, but maybe more Ghanaian footballers going to lesser leagues to establish themselves as stars and get regular playing time to work their way into the national team. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do agree. I do agree. And I always, I always do believe that you know, it's better to be in a tier B side and be consistent than to go play a bit part role in a tier A side. And uh, I, I think that at the end of the day, it's all about the impact that you do have and, you know, how that transcribes into your national team aspirations. So if you look at our national team, you know, we have players being called uh, from Israel, 
We have players being called from Egypt. Uh, we have players being called from Mexico, as you did rightly say. It's not really about, you know, you have to play in the English Premier League or not. It's about whether you're getting consistent game time and are you really a player in form. And so I, I do agree that once you do realize that, you, look, I'm not, I'm not getting enough game time here, you should start moving. But here's the case that most of our players... I feel do not have agents who have their interests at heart. Now, I say this because, you know, we've seen, I don't know whether you remember this guy, Dominic Adia. He was, uh, he rose up through the ranks. Uh, he was part of Ghana's team that won uh, the under 20 World Cup in Egypt in 2009. And then right after that move, you know, you, you had the Ayu brothers, Bia Marseille, and then you have someone like, Dominic Adia, right after this, you know, success in the World Cup, moved to a team like AC Milan at that stage. Could you imagine joining AC Milan around 2010, 2011? There was absolutely no way he was going to get game time. And then we had a fullback, Daniel Pare, also signing for Real Madrid when you knew that Real Madrid have so many world-class players when it comes to the fullback positions. And it just speaks of, you know, the type of agents that some of these players have. You don't even need any serious football acumen to understand that, look, this move is going to be detrimental to the development of this player. So it just tells you that these guys are just focusing on money because, yeah, they're going to get cut. And uh, the type of agents that some of these players have, and I feel like it's hurting some of them. And uh, it's always tough tough to be in such a position because as a player, you just want to play. You do just want to play and it's, it's just a head scratching move to me of, of obviously I know that they wanted their cut and everything, but you would think if you're thinking in the long term that by having a player establish himself as one of the best, say, you know, even being one of the best in Eredivisie or even in Sweden, you know, or in the Danish Super League and whatever, whichever league you want to describe, that's much more important, you know, being able to be one of the best in your league and consistently playing. And it's actually funny that you talk about Essie because I'm actually a Real Madrid fan and I remember that move and I was totally surprised when that came. I was like, I didn't know why they were doing that. I was excited. I liked him as a player, but I couldn't believe that that was happening. And then talk about moving also to AC Milan. I don't know what they were thinking. It, it had, to, I'm sorry to sound cynical, but it must've just been money. There's, there's no other way around it. I feel like besides that there's, and you, you know, you look at a player's perspective, I can see why they would want to do that from a company, like from a competitive standpoint, but I feel like you have to intervene at that point and say, look, this is a great move, but it's not going to be the best move for me long-term if I'm going to have to be sitting on the bench for, you know, for really more or less like one or two seasons. Um, so that's why I'm kind of curious. I don't know if Salisu, what's going to happen with him, if he's going to be forced, if he has to sit out next season as well, or if they're going to send him out on loan, we'll see something like that. But I think you, I think you have to be able to get at least some consistent playing time it's, you know, at least been able to get 30 matches a year or something along that line. But 
we'll see. But I'm I'm really kind of curious to see how all these things work out. Now, so I guess one more question before we start to wrap up. But as we look at the Ghana, as we look at the Ghana Premier League, do you think that with Asomo's transfer, will that and the hype surrounding that, will that see any any shift in movement in the Ghana Premier League? I know there's one, I forget the club that's top, but it's neither one of those two sides. Is there any yeah. expectation that the dominance will end or or what is your uh, what is your opinion on, on the current season? Well, I, I think the, the Ghana Premier League has, has taken the new form of shape in the past uh, three, four, five, six, seven years, I must say. And, uh, you know, we've had our own issues in the league. The last time we were able to really complete a league was in uh, 2016, where Diana Stars won it. But in the past couple of years, you know, we've had uh, we've had a whole bribery scandal. The league had to be cancelled and, you know, we didn't have a year, for, a league for about a year. And then there was coronavirus. So we've had quite a number of disruptions. Uh, but then... Even without that, the last time either Hearts or Kotoko won the league was six years ago. So you, 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 we now have a league where, you know, it's not really focused on these two clubs. And you have the much younger clubs, you know, coming in and trying to stake a claim for themselves. Uh, we've, seen, uh, we've seen Chelsea, Brecon Chelsea come up in there and try and challenge. We've seen Adriana come in and win as well. And then we've seen the likes of Midyama, you know, trying to stay relevant. But this season, we're seeing a new surprise package and uh, Bechem United. And uh, they are currently top of the table. Uh, but they lost. They, they were unbeaten up until this weekend, actually. And they met Heart of Folk. That's one of the big giants. And, you know, Heart of Folk have a new coach, Costa Papic. The coach that led them to their last title. And uh, that was about... Uh, 13 or 12 years ago and so uh, he has the magic and he was able to help them beat uh, Bechem United by six goals to one so all of a sudden Bechem United do not look as invisible as they were but they're also closely followed by Karela United they're also on 14 points and then we have the Wafa Wafa also closing on 13 points before you do have your Ashkod and Hartford. But this has really been the shape of the Ghana Premier League. Hartford and Kotoko are no longer, you know, the big boys in the league again. And these so-called smaller clubs have come to stay. And uh, I wonder whether we would still see the, the continuation of this or we'd see Hartford and Kotoko win the league again for the first time in six years. But for Jan and Legon City, it's certainly not going well. They currently sit bottom of the league. Uh, they've not won a game. This season, the only club yet to do that after seven games. And then interestingly, what makes their matter even worse is that they've not scored a goal from open play after, you know, spending quite a hefty amount of money in buying about 14 first team players. So there are crises at the club at the moment. They are a crisis. And also, we'll see. I'm, personally, I've been uh, watching some, I watched a few of the matches, but... I'd like to see a change. I'd like to see maybe, maybe we'll see somebody else this year. I'm I'm hoping so because I think the league has gotten really quite a bit better. And honestly, maybe with this move, maybe we'll see more of an increase in 
and different clubs receiving maybe more greater investment and maybe we'll see a change in parity. We've seen that in the English Premier League and now hopefully we'll be able to see that in the Ghanaian Premier League as well. And I would like to thank you for being able to impart so much knowledge on not only just Ghanaian Premier League, but also with all the transfers and everything. Um, I know our audience would really appreciate it. And we very much appreciate being able to have you on the program to just, just really share all this knowledge. So thank you, Mr. Ampofo. Um, if you have any words or anything you'd like to say to our audience about not only just, you know, maybe football in Ghana or, or football around the world, we'd love to hear from you. Oh, I just wanted to say thank you very much for the opportunity as well. And uh, yeah, it's a pleasure uh, to, you know, always talk about football and Ghana. I always think that Ghana deserves, you know, <clears throat> a place in football discussions because I, I think that, you know, we're a country that we've contributed so much to world football, not just recently, uh, but also from the 20th century and all that. We do have a rich history. And it's always good to talk about, you know, uh, this country that produces such a good amount of talent as well. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm always available. Uh, if you, you know, in case you pass by Ghana sometime, you could come, we could grab some fufu, we could have a chat, we could even watch a Ghana Premier League. And so, yeah, I'm always available to talk. And uh, thanks for having me, Patrick. Thank you, Oroku. And that's actually the goal is 2021 when the coronavirus starts to recede, the goal is to go and see it. And Hopefully we'll be able to see a match and and have some excellent fufu for audience. If you haven't had it, look it up on Google. You'll be <laughs> try it try it the first time you get it. As soon as you try fufu, you'll be hooked for life. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, sir. All right, thank you too.